I'm not sure if you want to talk about it now, but there was there was yeah. a story about when I first started that I actually called Tuttletown. This was 2009, and I was like, I'm about to start a distillery. Uh, you got any advice for me? And they pushed me off to Gable Lorenzo, who Ralph's son. Okay. And I talked to Gable for two hours, <laughs> like no joke, literally two hours. And he just gave me everything. He gave me all the tricks of the trade and how he would go out there and build a brand. And I just started looking up to this guy who was like maybe two years older than me as like a God. Like he was like, he's my, my, my Sandy Koufax, you know, like God. And so I was like, okay, so it's possible to start a business from scratch. And, you know, I tried to pass that along too. I did that to a lot of distillers. I talked to a lot of people in the early stages and I, it's, you know, you know, for a long time, there was a distilleries every single day. So it was not enough bandwidth to possibly say hi to everybody and help everybody mm-hmm. out. But I try to pay it forward as well, just because, you know, Tuttletown really paved the road for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Well, what year did they start? Like 2005? Yeah, I think it was like 2005, 2006. Maybe the idea was in 05 and started actually planning. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean and, they, and they killed it too. I mean, you know, like – you know, I will not speak ill of other people's products. So like product type is whatever, but I believe the the packaging and the, the placement and then the, the partnership with Grant and Sons, I mean, they were like one of the first people who were like, yo, you can do this and you can also make some money on it when you sell out. And you can also don't have to lose your soul when you do so, because like, if you go to like every airport bar, like you see a little bottle of touch, you know, Hudson Manhattan rye sitting on the shelf. You're like, God damn. Right. God damn, yeah. guys. Yeah, we have a little bit of that kind of getting set up with Star Wars initially with Distilled Ventures, um, yeah, which helps out a lot. Yeah. What's that? We've, we've, I've, I've known of those guys. I've, we've, 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 bro- mm-hmm. we've broken bread and spoken with those folks. It's, you know, it's, they're, they're out there, right? That's, right. That's, that, there is no doubt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, how, like, everyone lumps you in as a Diageo brand at that point, but, like, you aren't. And it's like everybody thinks like you have that Diageo money, which you don't. You know, like, and then like every once in a while, I'll be at events and Diageo will have their giant bar, and just coincidentally, we'll be sat, sat up next to them. It's like, oh, you guys are Diageo, and I'm like, no, this is some, not the right place to explain the entire picture. <laughs> Let me draw you a picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it helps to have that money though, beneficially overall. It does. The, the, one of the best things I ever saw was Smooth Ambler. Those guys, they did a video where like. They're like, they were like getting questions from the audience and they're responding to it. And like they, uh-huh. every video was a different one. And one of them was like, how, how have things changed since you got money from Pernod? And they, they just did a video of them. It's like raining money on themselves. <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> it was so good. It's going to be straightforward like that though. I mean, and, and, and John Little, who is like the main dude there and, and the other John, they're, yeah. they're both like, you know rednecks from west virginia so they don't they don't give they don't give to craps that's awesome to have no it's fun to have that, like that outlook though when you're still gonna be like yeah this is the reality of it helps us out a lot yeah and again like he you know john was also in a different place than i am or others that are sort of younger folks doing this it's like he's got kids who are getting into their high school mm-hmm. years and they're the last thing they want to do is be grinding and stressing and Right. Like, if I could just sit back and not worry and just make whiskey all day long, what that was the dream, right? 
<laughs> I mean, it will be the dream one day too. I feel like we're on a really good path to do it. And I, you know, I've got a, a business partner who he and I just really see eye to eye. We've been working together for almost four years and it's just been like this. How old were you when you started? To that, uh, 26. So I turned 36 this year. So yeah, 10 years. Ten years. Wow. Yeah. Well, what was that like initially? Just, uh, I mean, it was a combination of both like super exciting mm-hmm. and incredibly scary at the same time. Yeah. Because like when I first started, we, I had, a, I had an old business partner and he and I like, he taught me a lot of what I, what I knew about spirits, both professionally and sort of privately before we, we started. And, um, it became clear to me that like, there was a lot of history here. And mm-hmm. so for me, like every time I did something or amassed some sort of a knowledge or walked around town telling people like, Oh, I don't like that kind of product. I only drink this other thing. You know, like <laughs> thinking I was some kind of a cool kid. Right. Um, like I was like spitting on, you know, hundreds of years of tradition of whiskey making. And so I, I felt that like gravity from day one being like, dude, you're just a person who makes whiskey in the middle of Sonoma County, like shut up. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's like, it's like having your favorite bands and holding on to that so hard. Like, Oh, listen to these bands that no one knows about. Like then a few people think you, someone says like, yeah, I know this. Have you heard of this band? You're like, yeah, I've heard of them. They're good stuff, but they're, you know, the first record was better than their new stuff. <laughs> it sucks. I mean, always have that chip on your shoulder. You always do. And, and you never forget it. And you just sort of like walk around and every time you're just like, my best story is I, I, I had the unfortunate um, mistake of telling Robin Robinson, who's who did some brand work, brand ambassador work for us for a little while. And he's, you know, he basically built compass box in, in right. the U S um, I basically told him at a bar and, and, and actually it's whiskey fest um, Chicago, I think it was, or maybe it was whiskey live from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I told him, Hey man, I don't, I don't like scotch. He's like, <laughs> what? This was like six, seven years ago. He's like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, right. And I was like, well, he, I, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. He's like, what don't you like about it? I'm like, well, it's usually smoky, not always so smoky. And I'll, I'll just stick the American stuff. Like trying to be like a cool kid at the bar, right? And he's like, okay, whatever. He walks behind the bar, starts grabbing all these bottles off the shelf. He knows the bartender, so it was cool. And it was, and we, was we were still sitting at the bar. And he's grabbing all these bottles off the shelf. And he goes, I want you to try every single one of these. And I want you to try this compass box. And so I tried everything. One of those, and then I tried the compass box. He's like, that compass box is made up of all of these. I'll tell you what the portions are. It's your own blend. Use your imagination. But for John Glazer to make that, he has to go through making as a trial all of these. Right. And that's why blended scotch is awesome. And I was like, cool. Yeah. I get it. You know, ding, light bulb. What, what year was that? That was 2011, 2012. Nice. Like, Hi, how you doing, man? I'm Adam, good. How are you? Callum. Callum, how are you? What's going on? Where are you from? Yeah, good. You need to stand right there, but Mike's right there, too. I'll just hold it. What's going on, man? What's up? Callum, where are you from, bud? I'm from uh, Scotland. Nice. What part? Um, Basically a tiny little town north of Edinburgh. Uh, it's called Dunfermline. It's the ancient capital of Scotland. 
not not um it's not the most buzzing metropolis <laughs> to be honest but yeah i've um i've been living here i've been living over in in the u.s now for a year and a half uh and I'm, i left home i left scotland back in 2016 i lived in the caribbean for a couple of years so i was actually out in um i was actually out in northern california last year ah, uh, i lived I in uh, campbell which is just south of san jose Mm-hmm. Um, and I went up to Sonoma a couple of times. Unfortunately, I didn't manage to get by you guys. I went for I went for a wine trip. Well, that's good. Um, that, but it was lovely. A it's a lovely spot, and uh, I definitely definitely consider going back once this is all. <laughs> well, why can't you travel? I don't understand. Like, uh, like, well, I, I mean, don't say the naughty word. If I yeah, if I if I if I'm going to travel anywhere, man, it will be the first place I'm going to see my girlfriend. She lives in the Dominican still, so um, that'll be my first port of call. Uh, I've got a lot uh, of pent up energy. I bet. That's good to use the word energy. Good. Are you so you're you're are you in Sonoma then? Yeah. So the distillery itself is in Sonoma County. We're in a little town called Roner Park. Um, I live in 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 uh, San Rafael, so I'm just further south, but. Um, it's, uh, I'm physically not at the distillery today. I'll be, I go up there basically two, three days a week. We're still trying to figure out childcare at the moment. So, uh, it's sort of an all hands on deck situation at the Spiegel household. And what kind of production are you guys running at the moment? Are you guys full, full hog or is there, you know, is it, have you guys kind of cut down or what? Yeah. So, uh, admittedly we're not going full at all, uh, for a lot of reasons, um, keeping a six foot uh, distance from people is really hard to do, uh, uh, running full production. Cause you find yourself in confined spaces all the time. Yeah. So, um, that, that part's been difficult for us. Um, we also had some equipment failures and maintenance issues. We under, we basically been sort of tending to the last like four or five weeks. Uh, it should have only lasted two, three weeks, but when you've got, you know, vendors who can't show up and people are not feeling comfortable moving around, it sort of threw us through a loop. So, um, lucky for us, we're, we're back up and running again. We've been cooking mashes all week. Um, and I'm feeling like, you know, when you get that sort of yeasty flora back into the space, it sort of reinvigorates the soul. So I was, I've been up there a couple of days this week, just sort of breathing it all in. There, there are some specific distillery smells that you don't really get anywhere else. Eh? You know, I mean, yeah. this wasn't a distillery, but I used to live in along these two roads in, in, um, in Edinburgh. I used to live in this, we called it the palace, but it was basically this, this, this apartment that was on the corner and there was like a spire at the top. And we lived in this, uh, uh, two floor apartment uh, on the corner and along that road there, Slateford road, if you went maybe 300 meters along from where our apartment was, there was a brewery there. I think it was mm-hmm. Caledonia best or something, something similar like that. And I remember I used to always park my car there because it was free. The parking was free and I'm Scottish and we're tight bastards. Um, and so every single time I got out of the car, and obviously this isn't this isn't a specific distillery smell, but the brewery, there would just be that kind of faint smell of hops would come over. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like whenever I was finishing on like a Friday uh, after university, that was when the majority of my classes finished early. You know, I was finished at maybe 12, 1 p.m., um, yeah. And I, by the time I got back into the city after flirting with every girl on campus, it was usually like two, two thirty, 
And uh, when I parked the car, the, the majority of the time that I would get that hoppy smell was like on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. And man, there was nothing better. The sun's shining, right? Yeah. I've got that smell of hops that's almost like, almost kind of priming my liver. It's like, yo, you're going to have to drink some beer kind of thing. <laughs> and I would be like, right, it definitely has that Friday feeling. And now, you know, eventually when I would go on to like, uh, you know, touring distilleries and all that kind of stuff. And if I ever get that hoppy smell, even if I'm just in a brewery casually having a drink or whatever, and that hoppy smell comes to me, it makes me feel like I've got the whole world ahead of me and it's the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, even no, if it's a Monday afternoon and I'm doing something through work. <laughs> I mean, that, but that's actually amazing. I mean, that, that's something that I, I, I think is really fun about spirits, beer, and, and sort of all the libations that we, we make is that, you know, if you, if you create, create that memory and you smell it again, rather it be, you know, at a brewery, like I grew up in San Francisco and I lived fairly close to the Anchor Steam Brewery. So like we would go out to Petrero Hill and my father was really big into Anchor Steam. I, I could smell that that sort of like doughy, yeasty, you know, hoppy um, moment. And like, I'll always remember that too. Like you, you can't forget that. started for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, my, my, my father used to drink um, Anchor beer all yeah. the time. And so that, that was it. Like you used to get the the Christmas ales all the time and they'd be in our fridge. And, you know, I used to remember sneaking those things and trying those when I was a kid. And, um, you know, between that and like, you know, going to my grandma's house and, you know, raiding the, the liquor cabinet, looking at all the bottles and like they used to host Christmas parties and things. And I would just sort of be around it. You know, you, you're not necessarily drinking it, but when you, you give your, your, your aunt or your, your mom's best friend a hug and they smell like that, that sort of, sweat and booze smell it, you just don't forget it sweat and booze Th sweat. those are the two smells that govern my life man sweat, booze and desperation yeah <laughs> sweat booze desperation and being broke as fuck whatever that smells yeah. like yeah <laughs> lovely yeah. Yeah. put that in a bottle <laughs> New like Calvin Klein Chanel. yeah and what is uh so I was a 26 year old starting a craft distillery when what there was like 200 distilleries in the country at the yeah, time man. what was, was like, really how do you do how do you just go into that like what's the uh, idea to start yeah so I mean the, the 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 whole story for me is that we I I, I lost my job in 2008 so oh, part of the financial crisis you know 24 years old you know kicked basically into the parking lot with 600 other people at a financial firm being like, yep, you don't have a job. And I realized at that time I, I had no tangible skills. I had no ability to actually do anything um, beyond just like selling uh, financial sales. And so I, I, I sort of set off to want to figure out how to do something with my hands, you know, develop that sort of calluses on the, on the finger where it's like, <laughs> you know, you, you actually know how to do things. And so, um, I started making beer, beer sort of turned into wine, wine turned into grappa, and grappa sort of turned into whiskey. So it's a sort of gateway drug that sort of got me. Um, now you're fucked. Still... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're, you're a full-time me... addict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you that story about that that sort of that Oprah, you know, epiphany moment for me too. It definitely <laughs> happened in my life. Um, but, you know, the long story of it was is that we, myself and an old business partner started making stuff in his garage and yeah. We basically came to the realization in 2008 that like we're making stuff we thought was better than what we could find commercially. So like, why don't we go and start a distillery? And you know, there was nothing out there. We were the 15th distillery in California, so there was no one to call. There was really, you know, ADI, the American Distilling Institute. Um, you know, they had a trade show that they were hosting at that time that was like 300 people. 
<laughs> so he would show up to this trade show and like i mean i went to the, the one in 2009 or 2010 it was in kentucky and like i wish i had like taken more photos because there was three buses for the entire trade show and on those buses like i was sitting next to drew from willet nicole austin who used to work for whatever they're called out in in brooklyn um, who now works for Dickel and, and is blending some of amazing whiskeys for them. The the original master distiller over at, at High West, Bryson. The original cruise from Stranahan's was there. Jeez. Gable Lorenzo, my friend John McKee, who runs a distillery out in, in Idaho. Um, and I, I bring all this up to say that, like, that there was just no infrastructure, but like there's all these crazy like crackers who just wanted to make <laughs> freaking booze and so like we sat around and we talked about it and we got to know one another and we just had this moment where like we're talking about like water aging and barrels and and all and small barrels and big barrels and like it was from that moment i sort of looked around i was like yeah this these are my people like i'm, I'm yeah, cool yeah. with this like I, I could totally get into this and so you know i'll still see those folks every once in a while and like to reflect back on those moments you sort of look around like but I had no idea what the hell we were doing. And admittedly, the first like two years of our distillery, I really felt like was, a, was this glorified hobby because mm. I had 125 gallon stills, a direct fire to Limbic. We got off of off of Craigslist, from, well, not Craigslist, off of eBay nice. uh, from this, this Portuguese company. Um, they send it over as a garden ornament so you don't have to pay taxes on it. Um, and then – it's amazing. Uh, hey, but, uh, uh, what did you say? 158 liters? It was 125 gallons. So about oh, gallons. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, fair, a fair size. I mean, not a fair size to start. Yeah, but yeah, it, especially it means, considering but, your first still, you know. Yeah, well, I, well, technically, my first still was a 15 gallon still I bought off eBay as well from the same company. <laughs> uh, I still have that one. That that's that's going in my grave. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've got small equipment scaling that up as time went on but you know distillation runs would take us 20 hours at a time because we were using an undersized burner i had no idea what the hell we were doing <laughs> I was telling, and so we really you know we sort of figured out a lot in the early years what we what we like to do what we don't like to do i always tell people how often i used to sleep in burger king parking lots i was just exhausted man i'd run i lived in san francisco at the time i'd drive all the way up to rona park which is about an hour north of the city and so i'd just be exhausted after running you know a 24-hour shift i'd just fucking fall asleep was so. the was starting it in that area based on where you could find a warehouse to do it yeah it was a little bit of, a little bit was cost my old business partner at that time when we first found it we originally found it was 15 12 spirits he lived in santa rosa okay and so uh, for him it was more of a convenience of checking on fermentation making sure things are going well and then for me it was really more about um sort of supporting this guy like i was totally convinced and happy just to be like the man behind the man and just like run distillation runs i was also doing distribution i did all the compliance work i mean i was basically working seven days a week getting paid absolutely bupkis uh for the first at least two three years so to make ends meet it was a like dog walking you know that was that i used to walk like nine dogs at a time you know, uh, nice. <laughs> a little bit of friends and family money, running up credit card debts, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, it really was a labor of love. But, you know, the long winded answer to your question, like, that's how you get started. It's just like yeah. it was bootstrapped and you just figured it out. And the town we worked in was one of the only ones in the area who would let us use direct fired stills. 
So okay. like, you know, you know, Santa Rosa and Windsor and Petaluma, we were like, Hey, we want to do a direct five distillery. They're like, Nope. Were there still a lot of prohibition laws in California then? Well, there still are. I mean, still we, are, yeah. yeah, but we, we've been able to, as a California craft distillers guild, move those laws in our favor a little bit, but it's still bad. I mean, we, you know, we can only sell three bottles per person per day. Um, and we just got the ability oh. to ship in the state of California from our tasting room. You know, uh, what do you mean? Cause of the, sorry to interrupt, but what do you mean three, bo- three bottles per person per day? Is that so, like someone that comes to the distillery can only take three bottles with them? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jesus so, like, Christ. That's, that's, that's insane. That's, yeah. That's, well, what, if they, what if they come in twice <laughs> with well, a with a wig on? <laughs> or, it's amazing I mean, how many companies thing, right? get caught with that. I mean, people actually so get caught. many yeah. people got into trouble. I mean, you get they they do stings where like someone walks in like, hey, I want to buy a fourth bottle. Wink, wink. Don't tell anybody. And then next thing you know, you get yourself a fine. I mean, it's 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 happened before. Yeah. And it's like, and it's all it's you know, initially we didn't we weren't even allowed to sell directly. So when I first started, we couldn't even sell. So that was part of the reason why we started doing sales both all over the country. So we, but we we're about five, six, seven states at that time. Yeah. And we went overseas. So I we went overseas really early. So in 2012, we started selling to La Maison de Whiskey in, in France. And then I've been working in the European market, um, in particular also the UK market, um, since basically 2012, 2013, um, mm-hmm. because we couldn't sell directly. So right. our thinking was, shit, we can't sell directly. Might as well go ahead and, and, and go out of, out of state. And for me, I was in my, you know, mid to late twenties, single, generally, you know, going around and, and you get a chance to see and, and taste product and, and, and go in there honestly, and just be, you know, super real and authentic. It was really a fun time in my life. It's quite an eye-opening experience to have. I just, you know, starting with an idea and then a few years later, you're going all over the, all over the world to sell your product. Because what you have yeah, to do. yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it, it was, uh, it was amazing. And, you know, being a distiller has also been really fun too, because it's, it's, it's enhanced all the things I like doing. Like I already, I was already cooking a lot. So like my mm-hmm. cooking got infinitely better since I started distilling because you start thinking about flavors in a different way. And like, what's the root of those flavors and like, what are companion flavors that go really well together? You know, if you guys own the flavor Bible, it's sort of like, that's like, that's pretty much my go-to. Like right. if I want to, if I want to make something at home, like what are things that all go well with that thing? And you start building recipes, and and so it's been really fun for me. And then farmers markets become like a you know a psychedelic experience. Now where <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm on like the best shrooms possible because I'm walking around like <laughs> talking to farmers and getting to know people. And like you have your egg guy, you got your carrot guy, you've got your cheese guy, and it's just like so, so when you're. When you're starting off with the idea of just starting a distillery and just kind of getting off your off the ground and you know try to make some money into your pocket, are you relying on your surroundings that a part of the initial idea not to be complacent in the area and really try to use what's what California has to offer when it comes to grains and other products? Yeah, I mean that's 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 the thing, right? Like that's what makes Sonoma County Distilling Company or Sonoma Distilling Company now. When we first started, we yeah. changed the name of around. Um, you know, that's what made it what it was, is that we went ahead and we 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 were using local ingredients. We're using local water. You know, you, you think of Scotland, you think of Glen Morangi and Glen Farkless and, you know, all these glens. And Glen Lake. And Avalar. Callum uh, <laughs> Oh, I love Avalar. I know. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't no, worry no, about no, it. No, hey, listen, I was just telling I was just telling the guy in the in the in the lift there. 
Um, I was telling him, I was like, how I? he was like, oh, who do you work for? And I was like, oh, I work for a single malt company, a Scotch whiskey company. And he was like, oh, man, I love single malt Scotch. And I was like, oh, yeah? And he was like, who do you work for? And I was like, Avalar. And he was like, never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, do you know what, man? Fuck this. <laughs> I mean, so I've been there before. So I went to Avalar uh, oh, nice. three, four years ago. And I just did like, I didn't tell anybody I was going in there. I mean, not that they give a shit who I am, but like, I didn't like email the distillery. I was just like, I showed up and did the tour and they were like, ah, this tour is full. Come back tomorrow. So I went back tomorrow, stayed at that, you know, I went to go have glasses of whiskey over at the Highlander Inn, which is right down the block. Yeah. yeah. You know, my, my, my friend, George Grant is running over there at Glen Farkless. So I got a chance to, to fuck around there. Um, but like that, that distillery kicks ass and like you go and you try stuff like that and like you taste that whiskey and you, you, you're like, where did they get those flavors from? And then you go to that distillery and you walk through those barrel rooms. You're like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's literally it. Like I, it's no smoke and mirrors, no bullshit. That's it. It's funny that it's funny. We actually got onto that. Jake obviously mentioning the, the, you know, the surroundings of California and you were saying that that, you know, when you think about Irish whiskey, when you think about Scotch whiskey, like. Aberlour is, we've always done that. You know I mean? We've always looked to bring in local ingredients. And nowadays we can officially say it's within 50 miles of the distillery, all the grain comes from, right? But looking at your stuff here, and this is pretty cool because, you know, your the the grains that you've got in this one, this is the cherrywood smoked bourbon. The grains yeah. that you've got in this one, you actually tell people where they're from, which is pretty cool. So you've got 67% grain, California and Midwest, and you got twenty percent rye, which is California. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, it, it lets people know where 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 it's coming from. Yeah, um, and, and now we're one hundred percent California too. So it's even so that took even me more 10 local years to get there. Yeah, that took me ten years to get there because we have a, there's a malt house in the building behind us now. So we're literally able to malt ingredients on site. Yeah, which has been so much fun. I've got growers who are growing the grains up in Sacramento, which is about an hour and a half away from us, about seventy miles away. But then you've also got people in Sonoma County growing grain. So I've got some Sonoma rye that's going to be made in the next, you know, six months to a year. That's 100 percent from our area. Yeah. Like, like that's some cool shit. Yeah. And how difficult was that initially, 10 years ago? Well, I mean, it, it was a dream. It wasn't yeah. even. It wasn't even. It wasn't even difficult. It was like it was just. You know, <laughs> I wanted to have sex with Pamela Anderson. Like, it's, oh, who it doesn't? Happened. God. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean. I'm not sure Pamela Anderson would be my dream nowadays. That's I mean, fair. Pam, uh, Pamela Anderson but, but, but pretty 10 years old. ago? 10 years <laughs> ah, 10 ago. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Fair play, fair play. Fair enough. Um, but, I mean, that, those are my points. This is like, you know, you, you have these ideas about where you want to get to, and time helps you get there. You know, people who help buy our product, I mean, our consumer base has been the thing that's been our driving force here. Without people buying our product, I wouldn't be anywhere. I would literally be walking dogs still. And there's a lot of perseverance, I think, as well, eh, with these kind of companies. You know, I mean, you were saying like before, you know, you started with a 15 gallon still and you were falling in the sleep of the Burger King parking lot, driving an hour or two each way. Um, You know, I feel like I feel that a lot of people just get this kind of stubbornness almost where they're like, do you know what? Fuck it. Like, I am going to make this work, especially in booze, because with booze, one of the great things is that everybody loves booze right and there is someone out there if you're creating a product and and you're making it it to a high quality there is someone out there and there's and some ones actually who will enjoy your product and who will champion it but i I think what happens is a lot of people hit that they get that first two years when they're just like do you know what screw it like i can't i can't sustain this i can't sustain this um so maybe 
could you maybe talk about and I mean I know you spoke briefly about it but like were there any moments like that for you in your first few years of distilling and and you know running this you know you said for a while you had a 60 gallon still that was a garden ornament you know were there any moments during that time that you thought you know what fuck this this isn't for me or were you on the edge at some stage and something happened that kind of brought you back down to earth maybe you meet like a consumer at an event who just kind of sparks the fire underneath you again so uh this is one of this is that oprah aha moment i was telling you about <laughs> so for a long time we used to make a product of 1512 called pochin which if you're any any bit any bit uh, irish it's basically irish moonshine and we got this recipe from a friend of a friend who showed up at the, at the distillery and gave us this like 95% potato, 5% barley thing. Yeah. And we're like, oh shit, we got to juice potatoes. That sucks. <laughs> so we literally, I'm, I, I wish, I wish, I wish you all could have seen our operation. So here's, here's the deal. I, we had a Jacqueline juicer and I used to juice the potatoes one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Eventually, that little bucket would get full. And so I said, okay, not going to work. So threw the bucket out. I decided to then just have it just shoot all over me. Like, I swear <laughs> to God, like, I just, we drenched ourselves basically from like garbage bags to, to chest and just let the, the potato shit just hit you. And I did this on the back of a pickup truck so we could basically just take all the potatoes straight to the compost and just push them onto the compost. <laughs> so there's these moments where you're sitting there in, in, in your, 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 your juicing potatoes and the, the juicers would die after about two hours because they get overheated. So you'd have to wait 20 minutes for them to like cool down. So, we, so instead – You're like in two- the back winding it up basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so then we went ahead and got two juicers. So you got two juicers, <laughs> one cool down, the other one go. And I found these guys on Craigslist who helped us also juice potatoes. So we're sitting there with like two you know, people off of Craigslist getting shot by shit by, by potatoes. And we scaled the, the batch up from like 125 gallons, which is me and one Jacqueline, to like a 600-gallon batch or a 1,000-gallon batch that we had several Jacqueline's going at the same time. <laughs> and so there was one night where it took us like 8 to 12 hours to juice all the potatoes we were getting. And four o'clock in the morning, I'm literally just standing out in the parking lot and the, the moon is out and it just caught me at this moment where I had potato stuff. Cause when potato starch gets dry, yeah. it just sticks to you. Right. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like, like flat make one, it's like fat or it's like, if you're making like one of those, like those paper mache things that kids do mm. for like art projects, oh, so yeah. it's just stuck on you. And I'm just sitting there looking up at the moon, like, yep, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And just kept going on. All and the just kept going on, right? I mean, that's it. So then, those, you have moments like that 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 bring you back to earth, and you're like, okay, this is gonna suck. Yeah. But there's a reason why you're doing it, and there's a reason why you do these things. And 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 to your point too, like, are there other moments that that have caught you back on track? Totally. Uh, mm-hmm. I went through a, a business partner change at one point in my life. Totally knocked me on my ass. I met Hubert Jermaine Rabon, who was you know a, a cognac one of I think the best American brandy producer from cognac living in the united states he changed my freaking mind about distillation this guy was like nope you're doing everything wrong let's start from scratch Mm. and he worked with me and basically taught me how to run my still and cut correctly and run my barrel programs so this was you know you go through these aha moments where you're like okay i'm getting better getting better 
and you're just, yeah. you know, if you think back to all those, all those potato nights and you just, it just helps sort of amass this person that you want to be because admittedly, like I respect the shit out of Abelauer. I respect mm-hmm. the shit out of Star Wars too. I mean, you know, these guys, like, you know, these, these distilleries where people just sort of took their lives and did something different. Like I totally get it. Right. And to make a product and then show that product, it's like the most naked thing in the world. Like if someone doesn't like this thing, like shit, like, I'm sorry. I tried. <laughs> yeah. I tried. And it's, and it's like unforgiven in a sense because it's years of your work, right? Like there's oh. nothing that you could have done better. That was it. Like there, this person is just, and, then, and, and, you know, obviously I don't, I'm not a distiller for Aberlour and like, you know, I never will be either. Like these guys have worked their whole lives to get where they are. Um, but even still, like as a brand ambassador, sometimes that just happens. Like you, you hand someone's like, Oh, I love single malt scotch. And you hand them your whiskey and they're like, Hmm, not for me. And I'm yeah. a bit like, and I'm a bit like, do you know what we went through for that? Like, kind of thing. I know you hand them the Abu, uh, uh, like one of those like super strong cast strength ones. And people are like, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you give me something smoother? Like, what's your smoothest whiskey? What's your oldest whiskey? It's like, uh, dude, like, look at me. I'm, I'm doing it for 10 years. Which is the one that tastes the most expensive? Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I want to look smart. Good to have. It is an interesting dichotomy to have in the thought, as your whole thought process of you have to be stubborn in your idea and your approach. Like, I'm going to succeed in this, but also be open-minded at the same time. So when you need to learn something new about your stills, your barrel program, you can open up to that. Hopefully, it'll create a better outcome for your distillery overall. Yeah, I mean that's that's the honest to God truth, and and that's why I don't call myself master distiller, and that's you, what, precisely what you why. We start. What I'm do you? Pull? A, I'm a, I'm a whiskey maker. I call myself a head distiller. Um, I, I you know I to be to be honest, I stole the the phrase whiskey maker from John Glazer, a very compass box. I just thought it was like the most profound. From. Yeah, I mean, that guy kills it. Um, right. but just pour by the me, way. It's just, what's up? What oh, I just, just pour the bourbon. Yeah, I just pour the bourbon. I just oh, we'll pour it out. We got it. We'll pour it as well, along with you. Thank you. Yeah, I figured I would start start it. Ooh, love it's, that sound. Yeah, please, please continue though. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I uh, just not not feeling like you need to sort of have this like, well, I'm a master distiller. I figured everything out. So buy my my hundred and fifty dollar bottle. Go fuck yourself, juice. And I guess it's not how I want to exist. And like, I feel like I've been stilling for. 10 years professionally, technically 12 years outside of that. I've got another 10 years, 12 years maybe. Before at least. I can really look, at least before I'm at a place where I look at myself and, and I, I told Hubert this when I started working with him in 2013. I was like, you're going to be the guy who calls me a master distiller. You're mm-hmm. going to be the guy who's going to tap me on the shoulder like like Yoda and be like, you're a master distiller. Like, something <laughs> like that. That, that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, then I just, you know, I failed. Right. But like, I, my goal is to do this the rest of my life. I'm going to make yeah. whiskey. I'm going to make really good whiskeys as long as I possibly can and just be super humble and honest about it. And, and that's, that's my goal. I love that because cheers to that Graham, who's their master distiller, Abelar, he's been working there since his teens and he's, you can tell he's uncomfortable with the term master distiller. Yeah. And somebody yeah. who's in his fifties, I assume he is, I'm not really sure how old he is. He's just an all around badass that doesn't age. <laughs> Um, but it, you, it's a term of endearment when it comes from your colleagues and your peers, I, w- I would assume, but putting that upon yourself seems a little bit egotistic <laughs> than it does. No, totally. And what's the point? What does it, what does it really prove too? 
Well, a lot of it's a marketing thing too. Like right. that's what a lot of the sellers will tell you. It's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't call myself that. Other people call themselves that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's so much of that though, you know, especially now this, you know, that people are like, Oh, we have the, like it, it sounds, it sounds so much better to be like, Oh, we have the master distiller in town rather than just like, Oh, we've, we've got like the guy that makes the stuff. We have this dude. We got this <laughs> guy who's lit. We got this Scottish dude who's been working in whiskey for 30 years uh like 30 plus years and he's coming over to have a couple of pints with us and chat about the stuff that he does when he's in the north of scotland in the middle of nowhere you know if yeah. people would be like oh we have the master distiller and sometimes you sometimes you see terms like custodian and all this sort of stuff you know and it's just yeah. like at the end of the day like this is the guy that makes the stuff and this is the person that makes it so good you know well and also i, I think i did it to myself too i was telling jake the story like i i i i I used to think I knew a lot more about whiskey than I really did. And I was really that, that young guy in his like mid to late twenties. Have you said uh, the dumbest shit? (laughs) Hey, we've all been there. Have you ever heard of the Dunning Kruger curve? No. So the Dunning Kruger curve is a graph. Um, and it's basically a U that's, so the U starts on the far left hand side and it's at the very, very top. And on the, on the left-hand side, on the left axis, it basically says um, confidence and knowledge, okay? And on the bottom, it says, you know, actual knowledge, right? And what happens is, is you see this curve, and as people, the more and more and more they learn, the less confident they are in how much they really know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, there comes a stage that you that you pass the midway point in the knowledge part, and your confidence starts to go back up again, and that's probably where you're at now. That, yeah. but, you're probably you're probably as confident or maybe a little bit less confident than where you were 10 years ago but you probably went through that dip in confidence where you suddenly discovered you were like holy shit i don't actually know anything about this well and that, i was telling you learn more yeah. you know um totally, totally my, right totally. my boss my boss often uses a great um when he's doing his tastings and stuff he uses a he uses a great phrase that i always I always like to you know it always resonates with me and i always use it myself but talking about people like master distillers and things like that. And he always says, you know, Graham, for example, he always says, Graham has forgotten more about whiskey than we will ever know. Do you know what I mean? Because these like people like yourself, you live it and breathe it all the time. You're like, you're like an NBA basketball player that just lives and breathes basketball all the time. Like they understand and see things that the person watching the television doesn't see. And that's the exact same thing with a master distiller. When you're making whiskey or when you're tasting your own whiskey, you're seeing the hours and hours and hours and the grain and the, the accidents and the, the changes in, in percentages of, of grain that you're using, the difference in one, one California barley to another or one Californian, whatever it was, like a rye or whatever. And, but the consumer, they, they don't see that. And that's why you get these people that come up to you at whiskey festivals that have been drinking whiskey for two years that try and tell you the best way to be this to be drunk and what it actually tastes like and you're like hold on mate <laughs> well that's that's totally true and and uh, as i as i said before about that that sort of you know being on mushrooms experience <laughs> farmers markets you just it, you sort of feel like you just have a wholly different experience about even even other things that are just like cross training where it's not even related to the thing you do but like you know cooking a steak at home has yeah. been different for me for the last 10 years than it was 10 years before 
yeah. because of, of the how long you want to char each side, the need to get better at what you're doing, growing my own rosemary outside. Now, I mean, these sort of things you do, it just changes all of this shit. And like, yeah, and that's part you're of growing up. Something from scratch, it's something that's yeah. organic and literally comes from nothing. You're putting it out into the world. It realizes like, oh, wait, I can do this with more things. You know, yeah, any idea well, yeah, is totally. just out there, and then you put it out into the world. It can have a whole positive. It have a whole effect on other people. Yeah, yeah. I've had a really over the last six months to a year. I've been doing a lot of tasting notes for like single barrel programs that we're doing, uh-huh. and I spend like I, I told the guys like I literally show up to work like hungover because I'm like oh my god, <laughs> like I have literally because I spend so much time like each barrel I'm doing like what would be a good food pairing with just this freaking barrel. It's the same product I just t- tried before, same, you know, Sonoma bourbon, Sonoma bourbon, but this one will taste better with roasted chicken than this one does with a roasted duck. And why mm-hmm. do those things taste differently? It's all about your, your palate and how you feel about it. And so for me, like to go through those processes has actually made me better at what I'm doing because like every time I'm now cooking a roasted duck or cooking a chicken or, you know, procuring those things in the market, I'm like, dude, I totally get it. And like, I may be having thinking about things on a different level, like in the sense that like, I don't expect the consumer to be sitting through a, a whole, you know, food pairing, you know, conversation with me, but maybe 10% of people give a shit. And yeah. like for those 10%, like I'll spend an extra hour of my time or half an hour of my time just talking food because yeah. it makes sense. It, it resonates with them. And it took that a little extra to get them over the line to talk about whiskey because a lot of times people just think about whiskey as like, oh, I'll just have a, a whiskey after work and that's my only – I have one drink and I go do my thing. And it's like, cool. I, I, I get it. Like I totally understand that. But like you can also do food pairings. You should also incorporate it into your food, um, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And how did – when you first had that set up when you graduated to bigger stills – why did you go with pot stills when you know a lot of people are doing the column techniques, especially in the craft distilling world? Yeah, so uh, so th- this is where I think and this is another avenue. So I told Jake the story before about why initially I said I didn't like um, it was blended scotches is what I said. Right. I was like I don't like blended scotches. And my friend Robin Robinson, who used to represent Compass Box, is like, no, you're a fucking idiot. You don't know shit about blends. And he and do you want me to tell the story again, or do you want to? Just, yeah, please, yeah, go for it. Yeah, we kind of we kind of cut you off in the middle of it anyway. So yeah. No, the, the the real story basically was is that he I I told him I don't like blended scotch. He's like, you don't know shit about blended scotch. He's like, I don't like blended scotch. He's like, well, let me show you something. So we're in a bar in Illinois, Whiskey Live or Whiskey Fest, 2011 or 12. He walks behind the bar, grabs all these scotches, single malts off the wall, puts it on the table, grabs compass box, puts it on the table. He's like, try all these single malts, try compass box. All of these are inside of this compass box, but the different proportions, you got 10% of this and 11% of that and yeah. 22% of this. And when you try each of those single malts and then you try that, that, that blend, you totally get it. You're like, yeah. dude, this guy, John is balancing flavor and making things taste so fucking good and doing different barrel treatments and all sorts of stuff. And that to me was one of those examples where I was like, I don't know shit. Like I don't, I'm a, I'm an idiot. That's, that's the dumb yeah. 20 distiller guy who's been you know flying all over the world talking booze thinking he knows everything and i and I, I look like an idiot yeah i think um the best the best way to describe it that i ever heard and you know it works with any kind of whiskey or even even wines you know mm. um where there's someone's blending different wines together 
But um, a friend of mine always said, you know, you go to these concerts and you see a single pianist play or a, or a cellist or something. Well, that's your single mall. And then going to see the orchestra is the, the blend, right? Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. There are so, so many blends out there that are just uh, a shed load of grain whiskey with a bunch of like cheaper malts thrown in there just because they need to produce volume in... I don't know, like Islamabad, Islamabad, you know what I mean, or right. or somewhere, wherever in the in you know Hyderabad in India, where they just need volume, and these people don't care because they're mixing it with with something sweet. But Perhaps. when you when you get to like the higher level and you're getting to like products like you know Chivas Regal Altus, which is five blended malts that are all solid solid malts, or like even even a smaller end product uh, such as like Monkey Shoulder. But Monkey Shoulder for a while was Balvenny, uh, Glenfiddich, and Caninvi, just three whiskeys, and it was the right amount all pieced together, and it just tasted really, really nice. You know, I think in the United States specifically, people get really bogged down in this single malt thing, and yeah. it's like, man, you know, there's – and people are always like, oh, you know, like I'm um, – I'm not really a bourbon guy. I'm really, really into my single malts. And I'm a bit like, man, like how many bourbons have you actually tried like yeah. beside a single malt? Or how right. many how many Irish, like red breast, how much, have you ever tried red breast compared to a single malt scotch? And I think yeah. that that's, that's something that definitely happens. You see that a lot in, in the general consumer, someone who has found one thing that they like and they're convinced that they hate everything else, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm guilty of that too. Right. As the person who literally makes whiskey, I have fallen prey to that as well. And those that's 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 I, I, if I can stand as an example of what people should not ever do, don't do that. <laughs> because I, I I and this is why I'm gonna come full circle on your question. Like I for a long time thought that column still whiskeys were crap. I was like, nope, pot distilled whiskeys, that's it. Everything else is crap. Those guys are taking shortcuts. I'm doing it the hard way. And there's a, a minute part of that that's true in the sense yeah. that Pot stills will create a more viscous, full-body whiskeys, yeah. generally speaking. Now, the thing that I, I neglected to mention and didn't realize until I was probably seven years, eight years into this thing, is that you can run stills differently. You can yeah. you can do your cuts differently. You can adjust the, the product that goes into those things differently. You can affect the fermentations differently. Yeah. You can run column stills like pot stills and polystyrene stills like column stills. And that changed everything. I mean, David Broom's book about the, the, the ways of whiskey was all about Japanese whiskeys has blown my freaking mind. That has actually been my reading of, of this, this whole COVID thing. And I cannot tell you how much cool shit I've learned out of that one book alone because of the way that they, they run the stills out in Japan is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it just it makes me think about all this stuff I'm doing and being like, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Like I'm I'm running around telling people pot stills, pot stills, pot stills. And I've I've run a column still one time in my life. I I, I mean I should run it more often. Maybe I should be making some grain whiskeys and blending shit on my own. Like maybe I should be doing all this stuff and remove the pretentiousness that I've created for myself. When I'm yelling at people to stop it doing it themselves. Like I'm not I'm I'm, I'm, not, I'm not practicing what I preach. And so it's it's another sort of moment where I'm like, stop being an idiot. No, and you're the guy making whiskey in the wine country. It's like you're the one taking the chance. So having that yeah. open mind to it all, it, yeah, it all kind of relates back to it. Having that perspective, like, yeah, I'm not always right. And the easiest thing, that, the hardest thing to say is I don't know, but it's the smartest thing to say sometimes. Well, and we've always done that too, and that's why another another master distiller, head distiller, whiskey maker moment is like, 
someone asked me a question at a trade show and I don't know. I'm like, listen, give me your email address. I will get you an answer. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm the guy who makes it and I don't know the answer to that question. And they'll appreciate you so, more for that because you will respond back. I mean, I will. And I do. Yeah. And I have. And it's, I'd rather not just bullshit them because then, you know, because the problem is that an ill-informed, ill-informed consumer is almost as dangerous as almost any other thing out there because they're telling their friends the wrong thing. Like, oh, bourbon can only be made in Kentucky. I think you just describe an influencer on Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently, apparently that's apparently this cold COVID thing has not been good for influencers. So I don't know. That's that's why I buzz my head. I don't need to worry about. Maybe they'll have to get a real there. job now. <laughs> Send them back to the mine pits. <laughs> oh, now um, you're a miner. Sorry to jump in. Um, so from my from my side, I mean, first of all, the the bourbon that we just tried the bourbon there was lovely. Um, going to like a, a specific product, a specific expression. And I know this is very similar to picking your favorite child, um, which depending on the way you parent is either very, very hard or really fucking easy. Um, well, you can't hear them right now. I can hear, I can hear them up there screaming. To be honest <laughs> with you. I can so, which one I like the most. Is there, was there a, was there a specific bottle or a specific batch or a specific, um, you know, just a specific product that you guys made that you come back to now, it doesn't need to be a single barrel. It doesn't need to be anything like that, but is there something that, that you've made that, you know, you kind of think, wow, that was, that was the masterpiece for me just so that anyone listening yeah. to Sonoma, they can maybe check it out or if they haven't already. And obviously yeah. for us, like, at this end so i've i've had sonoma before but this is the first time i've ever had four bottles four different bottles in front of me um so it'd be nice to you know have a little bit of an experiment through them but yeah if if you could elaborate on if there was one specific bottle one specific expression that you think that was it yeah um i mean again used to use that old line before, like, I love all my children equally. And I, and I really do love all my children equally. I think all of the whiskeys that we, I think all the whiskeys that we make. I know I, I, I do. I do. Because, like, I'm the one who has to blend them all, right? And and to your analogy before about, you know, a single pianist versus the entire orchestra, like, that's actually, that describes really well what blending is in general. Like, all blending. All blending is identifying what is the unique character of each of these whiskeys. And I always tell people it's like, it's like blending whiskey is a lot like trying to get kindergartners to walk in a straight line. It's incredibly difficult because you've got some barrels that are lived. They were filled the exact same day, the exact same char, and they taste completely different. Yeah. And, and to describe that to someone is incredibly difficult because I have to make those two barrels taste the same in that blend. It becomes incredibly difficult for us. And so uh, long, long and short of it is what I, what, I'm, what I'm telling people is at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's a hard part of my job. Now, favorite products, uh, I'd say our Cherrywood rye is probably the one I'm the most proud of. And, oh, and, I'm, we're and, and put it in the glass, drink it, and you know, I'll, I'll explain to you why. When did you start with the Cherrywood? Part of – why didn't I start with it? When. Yeah, when and why. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, when. Uh, we started making that product back in 2014, I believe, was the first batches we made, maybe 2015. And this one was born because I opened a barrel of Sonoma Rye once, and it smelled like cherry soda. And I'm like, how do I make a product that sort of smells like cherry soda, but also sort of has a lot of the flavors of like a cocktail, right? So 
I basically already used the cherry with smoked barley as a, as a grain for making a smoked bourbon. And I realized if I dial that smoke basically at or below 10% of the mash bill, it becomes more like a modifier in a cocktail. Mm, so it's, it's like smoked dark fruits. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Beautiful. Totally right. And, and, and so, um, it kind of tastes a little bit like, I don't know, remember the name of those, but they're like that. They're like that UK, uh, like candy. That's like really, really hard. And they're, ju- they're like, they're, they're fruit uh, candies that come in like a tube. Um, I'll remember them another time. Anyway, brain's not working. Here, this is no. Uh, the, they, they come in a tube. Um, they come in a tube, and Not they're, a tube, like they're they're like wrapped in. They're one of those tubes that's like wrapped in like um, like a tin foil, and they're they're stuffed in a, uh, the fruit uh, pastels. Yeah, like something like that, exactly. But but the, the cool part is, is that when you when you deal with smoke and it's so concentrated like that, it really is more like on the finish than it is up front. Yeah. And so so I wanted to make a whiskey that sort of tastes like a cocktail, so it tastes a lot like Manhattan. And this product just has a lot of dynamicness to it because people who like rums really like it because it has this really high estuary sort of funky, fruity thing going on for people who like like making cocktails. Like this is the only easiest thing you can make cocktails with. You know, now that I can't remember which I think oh, it was it was you, big man, big man, Mr. Spiegel himself. Um, I think you said that. Did you say cherry soda? Yeah, yeah, Oh, I'm all over it now, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not drinking right? it, but like I'm just constantly smelling it, and there's there is cherry soda on there. So it's it's ten percent. It's a eighty percent rye, ten percent wheat. So imagine like the froth on the cherry soda, like that sort of a vanilla y froth, and it's ten percent cherry with smoked barley and new char American oak barrels aged in house. So it's generally a whiskey, generally a rye whiskey, but. You know, it just has this really sort of unique character to it that I think people sort of dig. I don't know. I, I, I love it, yeah. Yeah, no, it has like a, this, like a dessert quality to it as well, like a pie kind of crust, like of a cherry kind of sitting there on the end of the mouth right there. But there, at the very end, you get the cherry cola. We're like, oh, totally present. There is like – there is definitely like some kind of like a nuttiness. There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like toasted nuts there, you know? Yeah. That's lovely. Um you know, and again, it, you know, and I, I don't know it's, I know it's, I know it's not, but it reminds me a lot of, um, it reminds me a lot of like a sherry scotch, you know, and that no, dark totally. fruit flavor, oh, you know. Oh, I get it. Um, and, and I'm and definitely, was... I'm definitely someone that goes after those. Um, but because, you know, the 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 front end, the more, you know, with bourbons and and a lot of scotches actually that have been in, spent a long time in bourbon barrels, ex bourbon barrels, you get like a sweetness to it, but it's like a thin sweetness and it's like a citrus sweetness, right? That you get like whether it's green apple or pear, orchard fruit kind of thing. Right. But with the sherries, um, I love that kind of darker fruit flavor to it. Um, and this obviously with that little bit, that little extra bit of toasted flavor yeah. on the back end it's it's really nice man thanks yeah we, and we smoke our own ingredients on site so we we actually have an old uh shipping container mm. that we built into a smoker and so we have we basically take malted ingredients now the malted ingredients are malted in the building right there behind us we bring them out we lay a ton of grains on the bed of this shipping container half of it and then we cold smoke it for roughly about 40 to 45 hours during the course of a week using California cherry trees. So we're now, you're able to affect the smoke because we're actually smoking it. Plus you get a chance to really impact the flavor of the grain 
I'm using local trees. You get a little bit of terroir from the tree too. It's fun. Yeah. How important was that using those local trees for you guys? Uh, I mean, I think some of it is also about the power of the purse string, the power of the dollar to be able to physically hand somebody money and, and, you know, know that connection point between the person who's going to use it and the person who, who grew right. it or made it. Um, but so I, I, do I think it would be different if I bought cherry trees from Idaho? Probably not. But I think some of it has to do with the fact that we're keeping it local. We're keeping it with our, our local farmers. And then, you know, I can go back to those same folks on a consistent basis because, you know, they're dry aging the wood for six months. Yeah. They're, all, they're also growing all sorts of other stuff, too. I've got guys who are doing, you know, apricot trees and, and apple wood trees and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. you know, sky's the limit on where we can go. And I'm, I'm pretty stoked to be able to, to, to keep on playing around. Overall, with, uh, like you said, playing around, which comes into more of a modern technique of distilling, but also honoring the past, too, with the traditions of using the pot stills, using the local ingredients that you are talking about earlier with, like, with the glens over in Scotland, all those local resources you have, was that a large part of the company was holding that integrity of the past but transitioning into a more modern future of distilling? Yeah, I, I think that's that pretty much sums up. I'm not going to say anything else. That's that <laughs> sums up what it sums up what we were trying to do. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that like I want this to be a legacy business. I got two daughters. Mm-hmm. Like I would love nothing more than have my daughters be blending whiskey with me in 25 years. You know, and like that something like that to me just feels real and feels authentic, and it feels like something that's been done in other countries and other distilleries before. And so I'm stoked to be able to have that be a reality for me as well yeah and it seems like a lot of craft distillers um like yourself the ones that have started within the last 10 or 12 years really look for that future potentially as well passing it down to their kids and holding on to that heritage which we've seen obviously through decades and decades and generations with distilleries across the world and we're just kind yeah. of here in america starting our new point with craft distilling when you remove you know things that happened in the northeast and the south obviously over the last 200 300 years um but with this whole movement, there was a big focus about the family element and also an organic element too, which so many people play with. And was that just kind of a coincidence or was that more of a selling point of craft distillers to separate themselves in such a large market of whiskey that was already there? Yeah, I mean, so we're always trying to find points of differentiation. There's there's no there, – in, in the crowded marketplace, we're competing against you know the biggest guys in the world. There's, there's no way you can compete with those folks unless you – have a good story, right? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people will craft those stories early on and they just sort of <laughs> ring that bell wherever they go. We're the um, first pre-prohibition distillery since prohibition, after prohibition, before prohibition. <laughs> and we try really hard too. Like when you use that word first, like that's such a thing that people do. And I'm always just like, ah, like right. we're the first well, people to do stuff in the 707 area code. You know, I think there's so much though, especially now, uh, during the COVID crisis and crisis and stuff. You said the naughty word. Sorry. Um, cool. The. Don't say it three times in a mirror, or else the COVID appears behind you. <laughs> COVID <laughs> appears behind you and slaps you around nineteen times. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's so much of that right now that um, we were talking about it the other day in in one of the Abelard team meetings, and it's about not trying to manufacture purpose you know and honestly like if you just focus on the whiskey um like you said focus on your dream of of one day maybe maybe distilling a batch with your daughters right or one of your daughters if you just focus on those things and focus on the things that you can control like the other the market and bullshit 
and all the all the digital marketing crap that you see in today's world, you know. And um, the other day, I saw this I saw this amalgamation of videos, like a medley of videos of companies trying to all doing the same kind of advert for for the crisis, you know. Right. And it was like a somber song to start talking about how they were with us, and and it went through probably. Like, yeah, went through like sixty brands, man. It went through like sixty different brands. Um, we'll be here for you today, and we'll be here for you afterwards. This is a family. You're a part of our family, and it's all that, right. And it's like. And it's like people see, or not everybody, but people genuinely see right through that stuff. And it's the same thing with whiskey. You know, I've worked, I've, I've not just worked with Aberlour, but I've worked with other whiskeys, some who shall not be named. And I've tried to tell their brand story. And I know myself that this has been cobbled together by maybe one newspaper article that was written about some obscure figure that's part of the family that 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 distilled or blended the whiskey that i'm representing and i'm like guys like no one really cares about this like they really don't if if we could we could be telling a proper authentic story that would like that would inspire us and make us more passionate about something and people resonate with that a hundred times more so but can I ask you another question though? Like, because uh, I've I've actually been to Spaceside where Abelauer is in particular. Yeah. And, like, you can't sell a story of like beautiful Scottish people. Like, it's not like, welcome to Scotland. You've got the prettiest women in the land and the best tasting food you've ever tasted. It's like, like that's not, that's not part of that story too. <laughs> I think I've been attacked here. Remember, my yeah, mother's Scottish. Right. <laughs> no, 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 to be fair, no, I, I'm also part Scottish. No, no. Too, so Listen, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, like. To, to be honest, like, <laughs> I think it's so funny because I always say this about Scotland, right? Is that like, Scotland is like this, in people's minds, they see Scotland and they, they think of Scotland and they see the Battle of Stirling Bridge or the Battle of Stirling that they saw in Braveheart. They see men with long hair and skirts and kicking about, whereas really it's just like, it's just another British country in some in a lot of aspects. And don't get me wrong, I'm massively proud to be Scottish and we're all nut jobs. And I, I genuinely think Scottish people are the funniest people on the planet. But at the same time, you know, there's no, there's no, like, it's not like a sacred place. And, I, and you know, say what you like, but Sonoma's no, and Northern California's no, no cakewalk either, man. So no, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. And it's about, and like I say, it's about embracing that sometimes, you know, it's about embracing that kind of stuff. I'm going to put myself on these as well. What, that was one? actually the best, that was actually the best, um, advertising I saw last year was, um, oh, come on, Adam. Uh, one of one of the island distilleries. Wait for it. Uh, Lafroy or Lagavulin. They did the they did okay. the video of people trying it for the first time. I yeah, think was, I think I think that was uh, Lafroy that did that one too. Um, about, I'll remember it later on. But one of the pictures, it was all of the distillers <laughs> from the distillery just chilling there, and that was their imagery. Like their imagery was like, we don't give a shit. Like we are yeah rough people. This is what we look like. Drink our whiskey. But man, I people like, I- dig that though. That authenticity, people are all over it. It's like, I saw, there was a recent, I can't remember the name of it and I'm going to shoot myself for not remembering it. But um, there's a, there was a Chilean whiskey and um, it, basically the, the, the covers of all the whiskeys were just the men that make it. Mm. 
and they were like their faces were just worn and beaten and they looked old and they looked like a lot of them looked haggard because they'd been working in wine for 50 years you know Fuck yeah apparently apparently that like that simple imagery just absolutely took off because it was just like damn like this is as simple as it gets now don't get me wrong like you don't want to have like some local laddie from Aberlour town with a with a cigarette in his mouth standing standing at the distillery <laughs> you know what I mean like you don't want one of those but yeah man authenticity simplicity those are those are the keys um and that was what I was saying to Jake now we were last time I was here we were speaking to his wife about um some of the best like marketing campaigns that she'd seen and I think it was was it Lefroig? Anyway, there was a one of the one of the really smoky whiskies had um, done an advert, like a, a a commercial, as it would be called here, of people trying it for the first time, and it recorded their reactions, and all every single reaction was, "Oh my god!" And people were totally into it. You know, people like it, that that as a as an advert that was that did its job because people are like, "That's why I like smoky scotch because it makes me do that." You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sounds like a Lord commercial. <laughs> that sounds about right too. I've had a Lord before. I was like, I don't get it. Don't get I it. Yeah, bourbon now. Uh, I did. I did. A, I, I mean, that's also like in Northern California. We love Fernet too. So it's right. like, so do I. Like, I love Fernet. I mean, yeah. I love Fernet. Yeah, everybody loves Fernet. Fernet like, I'll, get Fernet, I'll get I'll get a Fernet tattoo. No problem. Just get one on the on the forearm like everybody else. I want a key in the lake one. I want a key. <laughs> yeah, listen, keep it up, man. I, I know another column who owns a bar out in Bath. Uh, it's called um, Bath Bath England. Bath England, yeah. And he owns. He's got a great bar out that that way. Oh God, he's gonna kill me if he ever watches this. But uh, his 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 bar out there. They've got these great. It's got these two little revolver sort of guns as their uh, their imagery. Shit, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get all these tattoos. They're all going on there. I was, I was just going to say, I was working on a company, that, a great American gun I company that, that wanted to start a whiskey, and I was doing the creative work for them. I'm like, do you guys really think this is going to take off? <laughs> Didn't take off at all. <laughs> <laughs> Colt, Colt wanted to get in the whiskey business. Well, I mean, but there's a, I mean, the thing about all the celebrities that are now in the whiskey business, right. you've got Bob Dylan, and you've got the Metallicas. Which I mean, with Metallica, like Rob's doing a great job making that, you know, and it's blackened. And, yeah, blackened. And it's it's a tasty whiskey, and it actually it Heaven's Door. Heaven's Door is nice too, and I almost worked for them actually. And I would never mill. I love Bob Dylan. I love the history of Bob Dylan more of like the idea of Bob Dylan than the actual person because it's kind of he's kind of you know tra- basically become that in a way. Right. Uh, but. I wouldn't. I could never work to the company if I didn't like the juice, and the juice was was pretty good stuff. So that helps. Yeah, it yeah. definitely does. But I mean, yeah, I think there's there's so much of that. You know, I think the first one that everybody heard of was was obviously Casamigos with with uh, Clooney. You know, like he bought it for he bought it for like you know in the tens of millions, maybe even less, and he sold it for five hundred or him and his partner sold it for a billion, but he got five hundred million. You know, it's like that's your future. 
and that and that in itself that in itself shows you so much about it like people weren't people weren't buying casamigos and and the story of casamigos didn't take off because it was from you know mexico and it was all about <laughs> how the third person that ever stepped foot in mexico said oh i, I like casamigos was it wasn't about any of that bullshit it was about the authentic story that george clooney wanted to buy a tequila and he wanted to make it a good tequila and that was it you know and and it and it just and I thought, it, I thought it was because like he and his friends used to make their own blend or something during christmas time and give it to their friends and- i have zero clue I, i'm not i'm not a tequila guy isn't his business partner Kathy Ireland's husband? Doesn't hurt. Yeah, that doesn't hurt at all. The I think best it, way to, the best way to make a million dollars is to have a million dollars. <laughs> I like that. It's a good business never, model to have. Never, never. <laughs> that should be Sonoma's tagline. Yeah. How much? I don't know. I don't know if this is public knowledge, but you know what? What is what is the volume of Sonoma uh, Distilling Co. like on the year? Like what? So, are you, what so yeah, so let's let's talk what was funny. So yesterday at the at the picnic table, myself and my production guys were talking about the size of Scottish distilleries, and they literally their brains were like, "Well, they can't be that big." I was like, well, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Well, like like they they have they don't have stills as big as ours, right?" I was like, "So we have a, a three thousand gallon Scottish still now. We have one from Foresight's we got um, made made in 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 uh, Rothis there, which is amazing." And then we've got uh, four 250-gallon Olympics now. So we basically run five stills, nice. you know, four or five days a week. Well, those are tiny. And they're tiny. They're so tiny. <laughs> they're adorable. And so, like, I went online <laughs> and started, like, going through the list. And I was like, well, let's just take a look at, like, a couple of medium-sized ones. So I went to Glenn Rothis, for example. I said, let's talk about Glenn Rothis. Yeah. Glenn Rothis has got, like – five they have like five or eight stills that are all over three to five thousand gallons a piece yeah their mash tons are like they have like eight twenty thousand liter mash tons so aberlauer is tiny you know as far i mean we're we're a very very small single malt in, in in the grand scheme of things um and like our our stills are like we have four stills and each one of them is like twenty thousand liters you know, right. give or so take. So divide that by four. That's how so you're talking about five thousand gallon stills. You know, yeah. we have four of them, and no, and and Aberlour is rena- like we are a very small distillery. Like it's a tiny, tiny distillery. You you go to Glenlivet, the Glenlivet, Glenlivet's got like I think they have fifteen stills, and I mean I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but you're probably looking at twenty five thousand liters per still. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean it's it's impressive. Alan, it's Six thousand gallons per still, you know. Yeah. So to answer your question, we 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 generally speaking barrel about fifty thousand gallons a year. We're we are small here, but you know again we're not releasing fifty thousand gallons a year, so it's not like we're releasing as much as we're making either. So the majority of what we make goes in the barrel for two to five years, and that's that's it. I mean we're we're releasing small amounts. We're in about seven states right now. And we're just taking our time, just getting out there. How does this all going to change your production schedule, your barrel aging schedule um, now with the shortage of people being able to work since we're in this current pandemic? Well, I mean, so so here's the real truth about this whole thing. And again, we'll, we'll keep on all talking right. about it. Finally, getting down this, to it. This will be the Avalauer show too. Get like, Donald Trump on the phone. The Trump, the truth is coming out. <laughs> oh God, please! I'd love to talk to that guy. <laughs> uh, um, no, but the honest to God truth is that like whiskey is an old, it's an old product. Like if yeah. you requ- you're required to age this thing, 
in our case, we age at a minimum of two years, but generally speaking, you age a product anywhere from two to 20 years, right? So that outlives all of these financial crises and pandemics and all sorts of stuff. And so what I'm making today has absolutely nothing to do with helping my bottom line tomorrow. It has right. everything to do with helping my bottom line in two years, five years, six years. Yeah, so because think, you already helped your bottom line four years ago or five years ago. Ideally, you're exactly right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I tell people. So at the end of the day, like this pandemic sucks and we have to watch our numbers really carefully because as I was telling Jake before, like 40% of our business – is a non-premise business. So like it's those guys are unfortunate. Those guys and girls are at home, yeah. you know, drinking their booze at home. Those and it effects, but the long-term effects we could see a positive um, outturn on your, on your company, on your product too. Well, and then what we've been doing is, you know, doing stuff like this. Like, unfortunately for me, like I have like a selfie stick now, like I own a selfie stick. Like, so the, the positive the podcast stuff, is, <laughs> I mean, but that's like, this is what I'm talking to you on right now. Right. Like this little, this little tripod thing is what I'm going to be like talking. I'm, I'll be talking to Jared from Belconis on Monday, like, you know, talking to some writers and bloggers and all sorts of stuff. Like I get a chance to like do the stuff that I never had time to do because I'm sitting in my house watching my kids. Yeah. Right. So you know, this pandemic comes at a time where it allows us to think differently. Like we're spending more time on social media than we ever did before. Where we, we, we just relaunched our whiskey club in California, mm-hmm. which changes everything. And so now we can start doing special releases again. So it, it does make you refocus your life a little bit. And I think there has to be a, a positive or a, or a bright side to all of this pain and all of this suffering that like, you know, 50,000 Americans have died so far or what have you, like there has to be some bright side to this. And yeah. Um, we've, we've spoken about it at length several times, but you know, there's obviously the, the age old adage of saying, you know, what comes up must go down. Mm-hmm. And I'm praying that it also works the other way. It also works the other way around, you know, what goes down must come up at some stage. So yeah. I think that, for for it's amazing to hear that you guys are 40% on trade that is amazing because for us at Aberlauer we are a massive uh, off trade um an off trade whiskey you know people and i suppose it's a lot of it's to do with um or not a lot of it but there's some of it's to do with pricing Right. Um, you know, obviously you look at a scotch, a 12 year old, a 16 year old, 18 year old scotch is going to be expensive by nature. Fuck, um, I mean, 12 to 16 year old whiskey would be expensive as hell too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately you're not quite there yet. You've got uh, another well, eight years to go. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, my oldest ones are like six years old right now and I'm tasting those. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go a little longer. Yeah, I'm going to go a little yeah. longer. I mean, you got to, hey, listen, man, and I'm sure you've done all of this, but you're running your own distillery now. You you need to have some bottles and barrels hidden away in places that no one's ever going to think to look so that when you when you do make that first batch with your daughters, you can say, hey, I actually have something for this occasion. Well, we do. A, <laughs> yeah, we do a fun tradition at the distillery. Every time a baby is born, we, we barrel on the day that they're born and then we write their name, their weight. So we've got a bunch of barrels of my, my my first daughter, and then we've got some some of the guys. We've got a couple other folks who've had kids along the way. Some people have actually even left us. We still have their their kids' barrels at our distillery. So it's kind of a fun. They'll thing. come back for them. They'll come back. They, for they, them. they, they should. They, they should. I mean, <laughs> they should. I mean, again, like you know, it's a it's a small world, and like what goes around comes around. So I, I really hope they do. And you know, I mean, we're not. You know, this this whole thing has been really interesting. And, uh, you know, the bartending community in particular, the restaurant community in particular is getting hit 
you know, among the hardest because there was no safety net to protect those people anyway. There was no, you know, a lot of time healthcare systems were tough and, you know, you're, you're, you're setting up shop in, in a major metropolitan area and you're, you're paying someone and basically, you know, slave labor and they get tips. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, shit, like, uh, like, so like we, we've been doing a lot of work with, well, not a lot. we've been doing some work to donate money to uh, Quesa, which is like the, the farmer's market groups in our area. Mm. They're building boxes for restaurant folks and they're giving that food to uh, restaurant people. So like That's all really the bottles cool. were, yes, yeah, so all the bottles that we're selling online, we're donating a dollar per bottle. And we're, we're basically giving money to Quesa with the idea that they're also then feeding people in the restaurant industry. Because like, like at the end of the day, like all we have is to take care of ourselves. Like okay. if you have this, this orange gremlin as your president and all of a sudden he decides to like not take care of people, we all got to start taking care of ourselves. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're going to have to look out for each other and figure out what we can do. Trading's been, you know, great, you know, helping people out and, you know, commerce the old school ways it's, you're you're gonna go back to the primordial days no i agree uh i think the biggest theme of the podcast over the last five weeks has been helping out your small community to better better help the world in large oh uh, yeah i'm 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 buying as i said more wine from my friends who are winemakers than i ever have before i've been going to the farmer's market every single sunday i always do but now i'm spending probably twice as much as i used to i'm filling my freezers up with with meats and cheeses and all sorts of stuff because at the end of the day, like I'd rather be handing people money than handing some corporation cash. Hundred um, percent. It's just it's part of my my brand ethos and it's part of my personal ethos. I just it sort of changes the way you think about things. No, I think that comes through in the whiskey as well. It, it like it definitely has a taste to it where it's definitely appreciated by the people who make it. I appreciate that, I'm, and I'm not sure if you've had a chance to try the the, the black uh, the cherry with smoked bourbon. We're sipping on it right now. Yeah. So cherry with smoked bourbon, again, like we started to talk about smoky scotches, like that's an American smoke and yeah. it's a lighter smoke. So it's not meant to be like a, like a Laphroaig or like a Bullen or even to a certain extent, like an Octomore. Like I'm yeah. not trying to get you something that's like, but it, it does have that chewability to it. That's really, really fun. And, and, and the cherry with smoked bourbon to me is meant to be this, this product that like, you know, I mean, for me, we would usually release in the fall. So I'm thinking of like, thanksgiving and christmas and you know bread puddings and all sorts right. of stuff and it, it has a really fun sort of celebratory feeling to me very um, mesquite on the nose yeah and, and yeah, that's california cherry trees we dialed up the smoke on that one so it has a little bit more smokiness to it but like you know for a long time i, I never really thought i liked smoky drinks and then i started making them and i'm like yeah I, I dig it i totally understand it and again another one of those like pull your head out of your ass situations. yeah I think it's all about what we can only do as human beings is evolve and grow, learn from our mistakes in that way. So uh, you can basically have it on yourself and have the intelligence to say, you know what, I was wrong and try to do something new and create your own your own take. What like we've talked about the last whole podcast is taking what Scotland, what you know, other parts of the world have been doing and applying them to craft American spirits that way. Yeah, we're doing something similar, like just to get geeky, like we, we do a thing called barrel aging. So what I do is I take fully aged spirit could go to bottle tomorrow and i proof it down to about 60 proof 30 percent and i rebarrel it again for like six months to a couple of years and that's the water we proof it down from barrel strength to bottle strength mm. so imagine uh, nice. the water and spirit early on so i've got cherrywood rye bar- barrel aged water and i've got cherrywood you know bourbon barrel aged water and i've got sonoma rye barrel and you use that water to proof it down almost, almost exclusively 
And I've, I've been using like two-year-old water at this point to proof down spirits. From cherry root barrels. No, I use my own the, the barrels they came out of. So I'll use the yeah. Sonoma Rye barrels and, and uh, Yeah, that's and, what I mean. Uh, that's what I mean. So you you're you basically take you 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 take the whiskey out of the barrel, whatever, and put water in there. And then after two years you put that water to proof the whiskey? Yes. Damn, that's cool. That's yeah. super cool. That's really cool. Well, like that but that but that is a, a French technique. Like that's not even my thing. Like I wish oh, I made that shit up, but like Bloody you know, French, like French man. Yeah, but like you know, but people in American whiskey just don't don't do it right we don't we don't we don't think about that like we also do another thing called double barreling where i'll take a whiskey that's been you know sort of hit its apex it's got all of its oaky tannins and flavor and roundness i pull it i proof it down to 109 and i rebarrel it again and let it sit there until i'm ready to pull the blend now the fun part about that is is that it sort of stabilizes the whiskey a little bit mm-hmm. but it also does a really good job of grabbing some notes that can't grab above 110 proof that it can't grab below 110 proof Another t- double, another technique that the French do. In, and would you do, would you do that in the same barrel or a different barrel, or it would just depend on the whiskey? It depends on on what barrel it came out of. For a long time, I was using small cooperage. We've now moved away from the smaller stuff. Now we're the smaller stuff we use is now thirty gallon barrels, so one hundred twenty liters, and then we have the standard fifty three gallon barrels, which we're now starting to release whiskeys from. And so those products in particular, you know, I'd go back into those old barrels again because they're big barrels. So, you know, talk about trying to do a blend. Imagine doing a blend of 315s or 215s. I mean, I'm tasting barrels on a weekly basis. I'm tasting through, you know, 200 barrels a week. I'm yeah. tasting through, figuring out where they're at in their life cycle, figuring out when they hit the top of that hill. When they, when they sort of hit the top of that hill, that's when you need to proof them down and rebarrel them again. And that process is just like you just get to know it. You sometimes you get to be to a place where you pulled it out of a barrel and you're putting it into the glass. You and can you see know. the color of it, and you're like, that one's gonna be fucking right. great. That's the effects of John Glazier. It sounds like well, effects of a lot. I mean, it effects of a lot of folks, right? I mean, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of really brilliant people at all these trade shows. I go to whiskey fests, and I get a chance to try them. I get to go on these tours, and you know, just sit in the back and just ask dumb questions and and. You know, smell fermentations and, and and drink a lot of other people's stuff. I mean, we do a, a thing at the distillery called DOPS, drink other people's stuff, shit, stuff. And it allows us the opportunity to be able to try a bunch of other people's spirits. So we're not the frog in the soup. We're trying a whole bunch of other people's stuff. And we're like, what what are they doing well? What can mm-hmm. we do differently? Like, what are things we can, we can make that we haven't made yet? And it's really been – the whole staff does it, and it's been – amazing for us to do that because i think it's raised the level of our game dramatically it's awesome it's i mean like innovation is what this is what this industry is based on in my opinion and doing things like that where we're stealing from different countries different distilleries not stealing but just borrowing those ideas well they were never they were never those ideas to begin with really it's just it's just trying new things seeing someone else do it and emulating it you know what um I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday who he's he basically works with Pernod out there in San Francisco. Um, and I was asking him about talking to him about the rest of my career, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do going forward and all this kind of stuff. And he said something really important. He was like, you know, if you surround yourself with really, really good people, then you will start to emulate. You will become the sum of their parts, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel that as like a whiskey distiller, 
or even as just as a whiskey brand, you can do that as well. You know, if you if you are trying lots of really really solid whiskies all the time, then eventually you'll you'll be able to pick and choose the parts, the the best parts of them all, and kind of make your own your you know make your own stuff. And it's like you were saying with the cherrywood smoke, like this is like the the American version <laughs> of the scotch of the scotch kind of smokiness. Um, and that's one of the things that made scotch like that, that brings scotch to the fore with a lot of people that are like, Oh, I love that peatiness. And if you can create that with your own with Sonoma Distilling County, then you're, you're laughing. Well, you know, you know, what's also really fun. The thing I also geek out about even more is, uh, so let's talk briefly about that barrel aged water thing. That barrel aged water idea probably came about because I had a whole bunch of used barrels and they didn't want them to go bad. So they filled them up with water. Right. And then yeah. when they filled them up, and then when they filled them up with water, they realized after about two weeks the water starts going bad. They're like, "So how do we keep the water? Oh, let's put booze in it. Oh shit! I tasted that stuff six months later. I could use that to proof down my spirit." Yeah, because oh, it's so low. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's all. That's the cool part about like this whole thing is that like all these innovations have usually come with you know, unfortunately they come out of fire, but usually they've come out of some sort of disaster or some sort of mistake that was made so if i can avoid all those things i'd like to avoid them as much as possible that's amazing well i appreciate the time um and the samples as well because it was very delicious good drink them yeah i'll try to i'm sure that this guy right here will help out with that good and also appreciate jamie duffy for making this all happen thank you jamie this is through jamie this is through jamie she's uh she's a magnificent woman she's a legend well i I appreciate the opportunity to speak and, and again you know, for us, you know, we're Sonoma Whiskey. You can check us out on Instagrams and Facebooks and yeah, Twitters and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, our products are available for shipping. Binnie's is a great shipper of ours out there in Illinois. So if anybody wants to buy it, you know, Aster Wines and K&L and nice. Drizzly and all them. Yeah. Drizzly. It's the best, it seems like, these days. Yeah, it's the one. They're killing it. Are you in Bitter Pops? We, we, we pro- I think we are. That I name think, sounds familiar to me. Yeah, I, I think our I bottles are near each other. I feel like somewhere on the shelves together. So. Well, I mean, again, I've had a chance to try that that Star Wars. Um, that maybe you guys did a cider cask once. That shit was so good. I've never had that one, but I know oh you're talking. Oh my god! About. Did you have the ginger cask? The ginger cask too. Oh, dude, I actually was inspired to try and do that myself. I have a friend of mine who makes ginger beer. I might actually just try and do that myself. And just if you need to steal. talk to our distillers, let me know. I'll put you in touch. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Well, uh, Adam and for Colm, who walked in 12 minutes late, but you know, it's changed his name. I'm now. so sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> made it, it worth the wait. Adam Spiegel, thank you so much. Great to meet you, man. And I'm sure we'll Good see deal. each other soon once all this is all over and we can uh, we can all have a wee dram together. Absolutely. I, I promise to. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. Cheers. Cheers, Adam. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Adam.